Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. And it's in the 26th chapter. And, and you know, forgive me, I'm going to run on a little bit with this. Uh, I'm not going to stop exactly where it says there in the bulletin. Let's see. It says, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say that God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. And Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I, I never will. And Jesus replied, Peter, the truth is, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. No, Peter insisted. He says, not even if I have to die with you. I will never deny you. And all the disciples vowed the same. And then Yeshua brought them to an olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go ahead to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he began to be filled with anguish and deep distress. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. He went on a little further and fell face down on the grave and praying, said, Abba, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will, not mine. And then he returned to the disciples and he, well, he found them asleep. For they just could not even keep their eyes open a moment longer. I'm going to take a look at you guys. I'll see you. If I don't have these on, I can't really see. You guys are just a blurry sort of, just people out there, I guess. I'll see your faces for a little bit. Now I can't read, though. Um, you know, it's sort of interesting when we're in this kind of weather, this sort of dreary and cold and clammy and freezy weather, you know, that, uh, gosh, Easter's coming. Easter's on his way. Easter bunny, he's coming. He's hopping around the corner. And it's just sort of the, the season of Lent. I guess that's what we're in. We're in the season of Lent. And as a Quaker, it's always, a, I always sort of, I, I, it's hard for me for, to do these liturgical calendary things. You know, it's just hard. 
And so I just was wondering, I was wondering, who should I ask about this? Who should I find? Uh, you know, what am I really looking for here? And I needed I, Catholics. I know Catholics celebrate Lent. I know they're big Lenten folks. And I have a Catholic in my life, a person who I love very dearly, a Catholic who is very close to me named Rachel, who I said, Rachel, please, in all humility, I know very little about Lent, almost nothing. Tell me what the Catholics feel about Lent. Please answer. And she says, well, hold on. I, I can't speak for all Catholics. I don't, you know, I ask the Pope, what does the Pope say about Lent? Go with that. And here's what he says. Okay, so here's what Pope Francis, this is his Lenten message uh, this coming year, this year. And it's sort of interesting. So this is Pope Francis. He says, Lent is the time to proclaim that God alone is Lord. To drop the pretense of being self-sufficient and the need to put ourselves at the center of things, to be at the top of the class, to think by our own abilities we can succeed in life and transform the world around us. How many distractions and trifles distract us from the very things that really count? How often do we caught up in our own wants and our own needs and lose sight of the heart of the matter and fail to embrace the true meaning of our lives in this world? Lent is a time of truth, a time to drop the mask we put on each day to appear perfect in the eyes of the world, but reject lies and hypocrisy not the lies and hypocrisies of others, but of our own. Gosh, it's beautiful. Thank you, Pope Francis. And I guess he's right. He's right. It's time to take off the mask, to, to let it all out there, to just share, especially with you guys, you know, just to tell you a little bit about myself of a problem I have. And, and it's not easy. But if, if, if you know me at all a little long, you'll know that I have a problem with vitamin D. I love me vitamin D and the, the I'm just going to say, if you know what it is, vitamin, it's vitamin Debbie. I love me some little Debbies. <laughs> I love me those Debbies, those oatmeal cream pies, those Swiss cake rolls, fudge rounds. And I know, I think the person I blame for this more than anybody else is, in fact, little Debbie. I blame the little girl on the thing is, yeah, it's, I actually met her when she, College Dale, which is where they make the Little Debbies, is right next to Chattanooga. And so she would come visit the classrooms of the schools, and I remember she would give out Little Debbies. And I remember thinking she wasn't Little Debbie. She was not that person on the little box. I mean, she's big, tall. And she was giving out those, she's the one. And I thought, gosh, if I could give up anything, if I was going to be really proud of myself for this Lenten season, if I was going to do without, it's going to be my Swiss cake rolls. 
tell you something I lost this morning. I didn't know I was going to lose it until I lost it, which was an hour of sleep. Anybody have that happen? Gosh, this is just like the worst time to do this. I mean, just gone. It vanished. No more an hour gone. It is so amazing to me that, you know, we, we're so divided on so many things in our country, but when it comes to something like this, we're literally, we're going to change our perception of time and the day. We're all like, yeah, let's do it. Sunday at 3 a.m., yeah, that works. Gone. Lost an hour of sleep. I mean, it's easy to talk about folks who didn't want to lose an hour of sleep, and those are the, well, the disciples we just read about here. You know, gosh, they just, all they had to do was just stay up. You know, they just wanted to give Jesus a little warning to stay up. But I guess they'd had a little bit too much good food, maybe a little bit too much wine. It was late in the evening. And in the moment of Jesus' anguish, in the moment that Yeshua was just, he needed them the most, the, the very moment that they said they would be there, they weren't there. And it says that not only were they not there, but not only they denied him. You know, you get that famous thing where rooster, I mean, the rooster crows. They all pledged they'd be there, and they none of them were there. Couldn't even get up an hour of sleep. See, no one, none of them, not even one of them, had the honor of dying next to the next to him on the cross. All of these apostles that said they would be there, none of them had that honor. That was left to criminals. That was left to some common criminals. And yet that's not the end of the story. Because each one of these people that were running away, that were just trying to get away as quick as they could at that moment, each of them in, in their own life would have to give up their own life. They'd have to carry their own cross. Many of them crucified upside down because they didn't want to do it the same way Jesus did it. That would be too good for him. Is that me? Would I be willing to give up my own life for God? I mean, would I? I mean, would I? I mean if somebody said to me, gosh, we're going to hang you tomorrow. You just recant. Am I the stock of the martyrs? I don't know. Maybe not. What would I give up? What would I give up for God? The sermon was going to be, what would you give up for God? But then I thought, no, no, it's better for me to ask myself. What would I give up for God? Would I give up a lot of money? I used to imagine playing the lottery. I'd get three tickets. I'd get one for me, one for God, and maybe a half and half or something. You know, something like that. 
And I just always imagined if I had gotten, if I had won that ticket, if I, the numbers just matched, would I give all that up to God? Uh, yes, I would. I mean, it's easy to say that with imaginary dollars and imaginary lottery winnings, but would I really? I mean, you have that example in the scripture where the, the rich young man comes to Jesus and says, how do I inherit eternal life? And he says, be kind to your neighbors and your fellow man and love the Lord your God with all your heart and strength. And he says, I've done it, I've done it all. He says, yeah, okay, we'll just sell all you have. Follow me. And that guy, he wouldn't do it. When the choice came to, to give it all away and follow Jesus, it was just a bridge too far. I mean, would I do that? Would I give it all away? I don't know. Maybe I'm a little cheap. I don't know if it would be every dollar. Maybe I'd be holding a couple back, you know, just for safety. Tell you somebody who's, who could give it all up. I mean, you know, Margaret Fell. Does, is there anybody here who does not know who Margaret Fell is? Gosh, it's universal. That's amazing. Congratulations. Great. That was beautiful. Well, so Margaret Fell was, she'd give it all up. I mean, would I give up my freedom, for example? So now, if you know the, about Margaret Fell, she had a beautiful place called Swarthmore Hall. Has anybody here been to Swarthmore Hall? A couple. A couple people. A couple people. It's a beautiful place, is it not? Very beautiful. It's right on the ocean, pretty close to the ocean. Beautiful estate. It's just, it's gorgeous. Well, the very first few years of Quakerism, it was all at Swarthmore Hall. It was like home base. You know, you ever play those games where you're, you know, you're off, there's a tree that's home base, right? And you can get far enough away, and then, <laughs> gosh, you, you got to get back to home base. So, that's what she owned, and it was sort of the center of Quakerism, and she broke the law in the sense that she had Quaker meeting at her house. And when she had this meeting, that was against the law, it was against the conventicle law, and so they arrested her, and she said, as long as I have a home, I will worship God in that home. Guilty. Guilty of the act. And so she was convicted of the act, and at the end of that experience, the, the sentence was life imprisonment. Life imprisonment. And forfeiture of her property. She lost it all. She would lose it all. And be sitting in this prison, Exeter prison, and it wasn't like George Fox's, some of his prison experiences where he was getting like fed breakfast in the morning by the jailer's wife and, you know, just going for walks in the garden. No, Exeter prison is about as miserable as it comes. I could give you the current statistics of Exeter prison, but it's 70% overpopulated. It's dirty, it's filthy, violent. Up until the year 2000, they were still feeding prisoners in a trough. Let 
forth my hall to, to that. Because of her faith. Because of her faith. She's willing to, to give it all. To lose everything. And you know, I think about things like that. I think about the sacrifices of these martyrs. I mean, would I be willing to do that? Would I lose my freedom? I mean, I think about all the marches I've been in my life. You know, the one of the you know when you go to these marches, these protests, or whatever, and you're there, and you, I say, you know, we're against this. You know, but I'm always sort of in the back of the pack. You know, when the people are getting arrested, I, I tend to sort of melt away. So what does that say? All these people willing to give up so much and do so much and all I'm giving up is little Debbie's? That's it. I was vexed. Vexed by little Debbie's, yes, but also vexed by my own sense of inadequacy. And so what I do in situations like that, I had one of those big long shifts at the hospital last night, and I just start asking people. I'm like, you know, I'm giving a message tomorrow. Forgive me, I don't know where to go on something like this. And it was so odd because like every single sort of stage of this chaplaincy, there have been certain populations of patients. At one time it was like a COVID. Everybody there had COVID. Other times it was alcohol, like liver damage. But yesterday, the last two days that I've been in, it was almost everybody had cancer. I don't know how that works, but it was just, of the 14 people I saw, I think 10 of them had cancer. And it was such an unusual population for people as a chaplain because most of my patients, a lot of them, they can't, they can't talk anymore. They're, they're out of it. You know, I'm just talking to the patient's family. But with cancer, with at least a few of these patients, they, they knew. You know, it's sort of interesting. We always ask ourselves, what if you knew you would only have one year of life left? Six months. What if you knew that, how that would change your life? Well, I was talking to this old Moravian. He's 89 years old, a Moravian. Gosh, Moravians are funny people. And I remember we were talking about, I was like, gosh, Easter's coming. And you know, he refused to call it Easter. For whatever reason, Easter is not good for Moravia. They call it Passover. Didn't know that. And I keep messing up. I keep calling it Easter. He keep correcting me, calling it Passover. And I asked him this question. I said, now knowing, you know, my message is about what would I sacrifice if I could? And knowing you only have a short period of time left, what do you think about that? And he said, well, the, the answer is in the question itself. What do I sacrifice? You sacrifice everything. You sacrifice everything. You know, it reminds me of this, this, this scripture here in Matthew. It says, 
If you want to be my follower, you must put away your own selfishness and shoulder your cross and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. It reminds me of that scripture in John about being born again. That in some ways we are measured in this life when we give up this life. When we give up the, the mask and the hypocrisy and find our true spirit putting on the clothes of Christ's righteousness and spirit. And so now I finish with this question. What will you give up for God?